Finding Home is a podcast series presented by the Irish American Archive Society. The Society is a nonprofit organization whose mission is to research, present, and preserve information about the history of the Irish in Cleveland. Thank you for listening, and please enjoy. Greetings. I'm Margaret Lynch of the Irish American Archives Society. Welcome to Finding Home. It's a podcast series about the history of the Irish in Cleveland. I talked several weeks ago about the showdown between the city's Irish priests and Bishop Amadeus Rapp, which led to the bishop's resignation in 1870. In the intervening episodes, I focused on the lay people of the diocese and the kinds of work that Irish folks were doing in the 1860s and 1870s. Today, I'm circling back to how diocesan officials and lay people interacted over the city's annual St. Patrick's Day parade. After Bishop Rapp resigned, Father Edward Hannon was appointed temporary administrator of the diocese. The Irish-born Hannon skirmished with some of the Irish priests who had opposed Bishop Rapp, but Hannon also helped to keep the St. Patrick's Day Parade on track. Since the first parade in 1842, there had been a push and pull between religious and lay leadership. The first several parades were organized by a priest, Father Peter McLaughlin. Then the Hibernian Guards, a lay group with no religious affiliation, stepped up to maintain the parade tradition. Another Irish group rose up in 1851 after Father Theobald Matthew, the Apostle of Temperance, visited Cleveland. The Temperance, or Cold Watermen as they were called, began to march with the Hibernian Guards on St. Patrick's Day. The Cold Water Men marched behind Father Hannon, who was the guiding force behind the temperance movement in Cleveland. During the Civil War, when the Hibernian Guards were off fighting, the temperance societies took responsibility for the parade on their own. Since the temperance societies were parish-based, the parade was, in a sense, back in religious hands again, even after Father Hannon, the central organizer, was reassigned to Toledo. When the Hibernian Guards did not fully reform after the Civil War, the temperance societies remained the default leaders of the parade planning process. Their leadership role was reinforced when Father Hannon returned to Cleveland in 1870 as diocesan administrator. But more and more new Irish groups began to emerge during the 1860s and early 1870s. Parish sodalities and benevolent societies, the Irish Literary and Benevolent Association, the Emmet Guard, and the Ancient Order of Hibernians. The Irish Literary and Benevolent Association did not have a religious purpose or an official chaplain, though priests spoke at their meetings and marched with them during their early days. The ILBA was particularly invested in the annual parade, perhaps because they expended time and money on parade sashes and banners. The ILBA approached Father Hannon proactively in 1871 about joining the parade planning process, and he gave them an okay. Even when the temperance societies were the ones who called parade planning meetings, longtime ILBA officer William Gleason often chaired the meetings or took the minutes. In 1872, a consortium of organizations, the temperance societies, the Irish Literary and Benevolent Association, the Knights of Erin, and others, petitioned Cleveland City Council to allow the city flag to fly as the parade passed City Hall that year. The same year, the same consortium chose Father Hannon as Grand Marshal. 
Membership in the various Irish groups overlapped, and the groups cooperated and also interacted easily with the city's Irish priests. The lay leaders of these groups were small business owners. They were folks who were beginning to play a role in local government. Little did they know what was coming. In April 1872, Reverend Richard Gilmore was appointed Bishop of the Diocese of Cleveland. The new bishop was born in Scotland, but had grown up and converted to Catholicism in Pennsylvania. Gilmore felt that he had to position his flock as fully American, while also defending Catholicism against the prevailing American anti-Catholic sentiment. This was always going to be a difficult task, but Gilmore's somewhat intransigent personality made it even harder. When Bishop Gilmore arrived in Cleveland, he was not pleased to hear that lay people were running their own organizations without the guidance of priests. He was not pleased that Irish organizations were reaching out directly to city officials, bypassing diocesan authority. Perhaps anticipating that things might shift under the new bishop, William Gleason and the ILBA called proactively for a parade planning meeting in early February 1873. Their invitation list was inclusive. A resolution was offered at the meeting stating that, and I quote, the interest and welfare of the Irish societies of this city demand that a closer friendship should exist between them, end quote. Bishop Gilmore took measure of the situation. He released his first pastoral letter to the city's Catholic parishioners on February 26, 1873, after the first parade planning meeting had taken place. The focus of the letter was to chide the city's secular Irish-American organizations. Gilmore wrote, and I quote, There is some confusion and a good deal of misapprehension relative to some of the societies in the diocese. Some of them claim to be Catholic societies simply because their members are Catholic, and they insist on being so recognized by the Church, claiming all the privileges usually accorded to Catholic societies, such as the right to wear their regalia in the Church and have solemn funerals for their dead. Yet, strange to say, such societies organize and manage their societies without the priest, and only seek the priest when they want to make a show. If they are Catholic, they must do as Catholic societies do, put a priest at their head. If they are not Catholic societies, they should not wonder if they are refused the privileges accorded to Catholic societies. End quote. The new bishop seemed to feel that Catholics should only participate in religious organizations led by a priest. This letter signaled that the Irish community had jumped from the frying pan into the fire. Bishop Gilmore felt that the same core group of people kept changing from what he called a, quote, apparently harmless literary association, end quote, to what he saw as nefarious Irish nationalist groups. He claimed, and I quote, it always remained the same disturbing, un-Catholic element in the community. Society follows society in quick succession, but they are always officers, treasurers, leaders, talkers, speechmakers, end quote. In later statements, Bishop Gilmore questioned whether the men who ran these organizations were even Catholic, despite their self-identification as such. These leaders and speechmakers? None other than the people I've been talking about in these podcast episodes. William Gleason, Patrick Smith, Thomas Manning, Thomas Lavin, and P.K. Walsh. 
The bishop did not directly intervene in parade planning in 1873, but he deployed another controlling tactic. The plain dealer reported his declaration, quote, that every society wishing to enter the cathedral to participate in the religious exercises on St. Patrick's Day must have a priest as president or as spiritual advisor with control, end quote. The bishop's decree would have cut certain organizations out of the parade entirely, since participants attended Mass at the cathedral before the parade and sat in the marching order at Mass. A compromise was worked out for the 1873 parade. ILBA members were excluded from attending Mass in the cathedral as a group and wearing their sashes at Mass, but they could wait outside the cathedral and fall in line with the parade participants at their appointed place. In defiance of the bishop, both Catholic and uncatholic or secular societies attended unified parade planning meetings in 1874. The meetings were held in the temperance hall behind the cathedral, but ILBA officer William Gleason presided over them, as he usually did. Gleason put forth a resolution calling for a committee of representatives of all Irish societies, Catholic or not, to convene on an ongoing basis, quote, for any general Irish purpose, end quote. Bishop Gilmore responded combatively in the newspapers that any proposed resolutions should, quote, suit Irish and Catholic purposes, end quote. After the 1874 parade, Bishop Gilmore decided he had had enough. His decrees had not prevented un-Catholic organizations from participating in what he saw as the religious celebration of a saint's day. In April 1874, he announced the formation of a new joint planning body called the Catholic Central Association. Meant to include parish organizations of every nationality, the group was supposed to concern itself with citywide issues, such as a push to gain permission for priests to visit workhouses and prisons. However, the German parishes declined to join at all and formed their own rival group, leaving the English-speaking, a.k.a. Irish, parishes to dominate the new planning body. In practical terms, planning for the St. Patrick's Day Parade was one of the group's primary activities. Catholic organizations that were parish-based or had a chaplain could participate in the Catholic Central Association. That included parish temperance societies and sodalities and Catholic fraternal and benevolent organizations, such as the Ancient Order of Hibernians. The ILBA and the newly formed militia, the Emmett Guards, were pointedly excluded. Bishop Gilmore also reinforced centralized diocesan communication at that time by introducing a Catholic newspaper as well. Titled The Catholic Universe, it was later renamed The Catholic Universe Bulletin. Gilmore was specifically trying to counter the influence of the Celtic Index newspaper published in Cleveland by P.K. Walsh. While the Celtic Index was formed to advance an Irish nationalist agenda, it also included local community and parish news. The Celtic Index, for instance, was the newspaper that first reported that Bishop Gilmore had disbanded St. Columkill Parish. To launch the Catholic newspaper, Gilmore wisely and uncharacteristically turned to a unifying figure, Father Thomas P. Thorpe. Thorpe had served as parade grand marshal when he was a young priest in 1864 and had been tapped for the honor again in 1873. 
Thorpe managed an incredible balancing act. He was still a welcome and frequent speaker at Irish community events, including events sponsored by the ILBA. But he also somehow managed Bishop Gilmore. Not only did Thorpe launch the Catholic Universe paper, he was pastor of the Cathedral Parish from 1876 to 1893 and did two stints as pastor of Immaculate Conception both before and after the cathedral posting. The Plain Dealer, by the way, paid tribute to Thorpe at the time of his death in 1907 as, quote, one of the giants of the constructive period of the community's growth as a city, end quote. I think that the city's Irish community was fortunate to have in Father and later Monsignor Thorpe a person who could advocate for the Irish community while navigating Gilmore's somewhat imperious approach. It was also a blessing that the priests and the lay leaders of all the groups, both Catholic and allegedly uncatholic, knew and respected each other well enough to overcome the divisions that Gilmore sought to impose. The newspapers of the day noted Bishop Gilmore's attempt to sideline some of the city's highest status Irish citizens and groups. Although the Cleveland leader routinely expressed anti-Irish opinions, its contempt for Catholicism was even greater. The newspaper sided with the ILBA against the bishop, proclaiming, and I quote, The Irish Literary Society is an honor to Irishmen and should be supported by them in spite of priest-ridden bigots, end quote. Worn out by the hostility that he himself actually created, Bishop Gilmore traveled to Europe from June 1874 through June 1875. He was recovering from what diocesan historian Father George F. Hauck called nervous prostration. During his absence from the city, the bishop deputized the Catholic Central Association to take charge of parade planning, and he did not relent. Secular organizations were still to be denied seating in the cathedral on St. Patrick's Day and a seat at the parade planning table. Both the Catholic Central Association and the ILBA convened separate parade planning meetings in January and February of 1875. At a Catholic Central meeting, however, as the Plain Dealer reported, and I quote, On motion of Mr. Gallagher, an invitation was extended to the Emmet Guards, the Hibernian Guards, and the Irish Literary and Benevolent Association to participate in the procession, end quote. The Mr. Gallagher in question was grocer Owen J. Gallagher, a Hibernian and in-law of the Gallagher 99 clan. The ILBA urged its members to celebrate the day, quote, according to the dictates of their conscience and the prompting of patriotism with no priestly influence, end quote. Catholic Central Chairman T.H. Graham offered an olive branch at an ILBA meeting in February 1875. Graham admitted that, quote, there was a misunderstanding and probably a little wrong on both sides, end quote. T.H. Graham, like Monsignor Thorpe, was a key intermediary. Graham was born in Norwalk, Ohio in about 1846 and came to Cleveland at an early age. He sought out Judge Stevenson Burke here. Burke had been a common police court judge in Elyria, Ohio, and had gone on to do railroad litigation in Cleveland. Unlike Thomas Lavin and Martin Ferran, who studied law on their own, Graham secured a mentor in Burke. Graham went on to become a prominent business lawyer and one of the founders of the Associated Charities, a forerunner of the United Way. Graham's willingness to give a fair hearing to the ILBA and the Emmett Guards during Bishop Gilmore's absence 
helped to assuage the two groups. Both the ILBA and the Emmett Guards marched in the 1875 parade, along with a temporarily revived group of Hibernian Guards and a large variety of Catholic organizations. However, the Catholic Central Association controlled parade planning going forward, and the Grand Marshals were all Catholic Central leaders. The ILBA continued to march in the parade, but their meeting minutes revealed that resentment simmered for years. When a member proposed the expedient measure of adding a chaplain to the group in 1880, the proposal was soundly rejected, even though a chaplain would have qualified the ILBA to participate in the Catholic Central Association. Some ILBA members resolutely bucked the bishop's disapproval of secular organizations. In January 1874, the Cleveland Leader announced the formation of an overtly Irish nationalist association called the United Irishmen. In 1876, there was mention in the newspapers of a Wolf Tone Club. Both groups were short-lived, but Bishop Gilmore's observation about their leadership was, in fact, accurate. The same people were behind a succession of groups, as Gilmore had claimed. While serving as ILBA officers, P.K. Walsh and William J. Gleason were also officers of the United Irishmen. As tense as relations between Bishop Gilmore and some Irish community leaders were by the late 1870s, things were about to get worse. The question of Irish nationalism was about to become a major flashpoint. But that's a story for another day. For today, I hope you'll remember such mediators as Father Edward Hannon, Monsignor Thomas P. Thorpe, and lawyer T.H. Graham, who helped to keep the communication lines open between various community groups, allowing Cleveland's Irish community to continue to grow. Thanks for listening. I'm Margaret Lynch. Have a great day. You've been listening to Finding Home, a podcast series presented by the Irish American Archive Society of Cleveland. Find out more about the Society or get in touch at irisharchives.org.